good evening and welcome to DJN TV on Monday night. That's right, it's Monday. That means it's time for us to put down the football and talk to the one and only Bill Herman. Good evening, Bill. <laughs> well, okay, I'll put down the football, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up a little something here. Yeah, yes, this um, is sparkling. I, uh, John told me this is gonna be like the Graham Norton show. So yes, yes, sparkling um, the, spring water my is sparkling what, whiskey. What he has Kentucky for bourbon, tonight? Baden, uh, Basil Hayden. Uh, so, and for those of you who are wondering why, friend, why Bill has to resort to the hardened water. It's well, every, every, well, you do know that every Monday uh, since the pandemic began, I've had a happy hour. You have had a happy hour. Happy hour that I've invited anyone who likes to be a part of it. It's a Zoom happy hour. It's happened. We have not missed a Monday, including this evening, where we all get together. And if we'd like, we raise a glass. Uh, if it's nice outside, I sit outside and have a cigar. And I've seen and, that. Uh, we talk about everything not DJ related because that's what you'd do if you met up for happy hour on a Monday with your buddies. So Pretty we've much. been doing that. So this uh, this is to all of them and to you. Uh, as I I could pretend that this is an, uh, a theater whiskey and it's really only iced tea, but <laughs> yes, it is only in only iced tea. It is only okay for those of you watching out on Facebook. We had a little bit of problem with uh, restream getting fired up properly, so. First, and, I, and then it worked. It seems that it was working. Um, live show. Boom. And then we'll have to fix it later. All right. So uh, this is our industry spotlight session of the night. And tonight, of course, we're going to be focusing on Bill Herman because we're going to find out where Bill started and what. Wait, wait, hold on. I thought I was the one interviewing you tonight. No, 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 no. Sorry. Ted, you said we're going to do a thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. I said, I'll do it as long as I can. I don't necessarily want it to be about me. Let me just interview you. So you lied to me. I'm going to find my Bill Herman sock puppet. He's much more agreeable to work with. Where is it? Where is it? Actually, I'd like to see that. <laughs> that would be it'd be a pretty good show. And I'm, I'm a little disturbed that you would have one. And what's the sad part about it is every time I've had a conversation with the Bill Herman sock puppet, both of us end up crying. <laughs> It's just a tough. It's, it's not a, a whole lot different than when you and I talk. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. When we get together, it ends up being that way. But that's that's another story for another show. So, uh, thank you guys for being with us and finding us out there on YouTube and Facebook this evening. People are starting to kind of wander on in and uh, be there. <laughs> Don wants to go grab another beer. That's the way to do it, Don. <laughs> Team member. Well, if you're not drinking during this interview, then you're not yeah. going to learn a thing. Yeah, it's it, it'll get better with. Um, so, Bill, let's... And more entertaining the more you drink. Let's back up in the Bill Herman world. And when, uh, in those early days, as a youngster now, I'm, I want to go way back into those, oh. those days. When did you start to notice that music was kind of a cool thing and you were like, hey, I, I, I kind of dig this scene, this music scene thing? Um, uh, you know, uh, I was 12. Um, and uh, my parents had a big... Uh, Four and a half foot long, um, four foot tall, the two and a half foot, three feet deep stereo console mm -hmm. uh, made out of oak, right? It had a radio. It had a, a turntable. Um, and my parents had their their records, and their records were things like uh, Montavani. Uh, there were things like... I think my dad had a Creedence Clearwater Revival oh. uh, uh, greatest hits record. Um, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. 
uh, Helen Reddy's greatest hits and three of her records. And uh, when I figured out how to use that stuff, you know, I, I fell into what this was. Uh, even radio was not that, that wasn't really something that I really understood at the time, even though uh, not long after my, my father, um, who knew the local grocery store owner in Beulah, Michigan, who, who had invested in uh, uh, an FCC license for WBNZ in Frankfurt, Michigan, uh, brought this radio station up and he went, well, you know, bring your kid out. Maybe we can find a job for him sweeping floors. And that's kind of when I realized that, this, that, that the music world and mu recorded music and playing music for people outside of your family was, was really a thing. You know, I, I, I knew I heard music on the radio. You know, I, I, I listened to John Records Landecker on WC, WLS in Chicago uh, up in northern Michigan, uh, late at night, you know, the that, that radio station radio. up yep. its wattage to 100,000 watts and bounced off the atmosphere. And in that little town of 2,000 people, I would, you know, at, when the sun went down, sometimes, you know, when I knew my parents were asleep at midnight, I would tune in to listen to the boogie check and WLS and, and stay up all night. And so listening to music was that, it was that thing. It didn't seem like a thing that you could be a part of until radio and radio was a thing that really he didn't really t he didn't really teach me music mm -hmm. he taught me radio he taught me interviewing he taught me editing um and and, and, and there's no reason he should have <laughs> because i was 12. my sure. dad drove up this huge hill the highest tallest hill in frankfurt michigan uh, and on the top of the hill was this transmitter and this trailer it was just a trailer, a big, huge trailer on blocks next to this transmitter and uh, on, on, a, on a big uh, gravel parking area. And he, he pulled his big yellow station wagon in there and he says, hey, why don't you go in there and see if you can get yourself a job? <laughs> and cocky little Billy at 12 years old walked across that parking lot, you know, stepped up on those metal stairs, almost kicked open the door. Hardly even said anything to the lady who was the receptionist as I walked past her and into the first open office that, that was, surprisingly enough, the general manager's office, uh, Mike Bradford. And I waved and he said, who, who are you? And I said, I'm Billy Herman. And I sat down and all but sat, put my legs up on the table <laughs> in front of him and said, you should hire me to work at your radio station. And... He didn't call out and say, Edna, how'd this guy get in here? <laughs> he went, um, okay, so why should I hire you? And started talking to me mm -hmm. and asking me questions. And I was a little spastic kid that was just really excited about, you know, being a star and being on radio and talking about WLS for, because that was the station that I thought was where the biggest stars in the world were. Sure. When it was all done, I was all done just kind of, you know, running at the mouth and, my my old man used to say, you know, running like a whippoorwill's a. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that one before, but yeah, yeah, I know. Um, he kind of paused. He smiled. He leaned back in his chair. He nodded for a second. Came up in his chair and he opened up this big drawer in the bottom of his big steel uh, office desk and pulled out a tape recorder about that big. It was an um, it was a professional uh, quality 
uh, tape recorder. He gave me two big 90-minute cassettes and a microphone with, uh, with a, a play, way to plug it in. And he says, okay, so go to school, interview people that you think might be newsworthy. He didn't even explain newsworthy to me. It would have meant, yes. He just, here you go. Right. My old man uh, knew somebody at the local newspaper and got a, got a, I think I still have it. I should probably find it someday and share it with everybody. But it's, it's uh, the Associated Press's a booklet on how to write AP stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, there's a format to it. Mm-hmm. And my old man showed up with that later. But, I mean, I just went to school then and I interviewed my buddies you know, I interviewed anybody that would talk to me, right? My school teachers and uh, the coach who was like, who the hell are you? I wasn't even into sports. I mm-hmm. I was the nerd that got beat up every day. So it's like the coach was like irritated with me being around. I brought that thing back. Brought, I filled up two 90-minute cassettes front and back. Um, uh, gave it to the guy and he says, okay, come on in here. And he brought me into the into the production studio and he showed me how to transfer all that stuff to a big reel to reel tape. He showed me how to edit and he says, okay, so you work on this for as long as it takes to get it down to about five minutes and you come and get me. And that took me about three weeks. Um, <laughs> cause it was, you know, I, they, they yeah. needed the studio. I would be only be up there for a little while. And when I finally did that, he, sh- he showed me how to record an introduction and an outro an intro and outro. And to put it together and gave it to the morning show. And it was a th- little three-minute show called Billy Herman's School News and Report. And he paid me $5 because it ran that Wednesday. And he says, okay, here's your $5. Now do the same thing for next Wednesday. And I did that every Wednesday. And and uh, that was my introduction to radio and professional uh, professional music, DJ, uh, radio, all of that stuff. In fact, I found out the other day, not the other day, but maybe about a year ago, last time I was home, that uh, not only uh, Mike Bradford, who gave me that first break, is gone now, but that WBNZ in Frankfurt, Michigan, is still on the air and still does every Wednesday school news and report with a young school kid hmm. every single week and wow. has been doing that since 1970. Now I'm really dating myself. Since nineteen or since two thousand and fourteen when I started. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you started and you were doing the the report side. And there's there's almost there's two facets I really want to hit. The DJ side of it as you were when you started to get into that. But when did when did the acting bug bite? Oh. That was earlier. Mm. Um I was five. Oh my. Six. I was in elementary school and uh and uh, I just loved being up in front of people. Um, I was a show-off. I was a kid that uh, sang loudest at church. I was the one who uh, what did, 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 did imitations of things I saw on TV. Uh, or, or uh, I hate to say it, but I was a huge Bill Cosby fan. Mm-hmm. And I, I had memorized every routine that he did on the album, Why Is There Air? And, uh, and, and would repeat it to everyone who was around me. Um, and uh, in my first play, I was in, uh, in, in school, and I was in the play Winnie the Pooh, uh, and I was uh, rabbit number three. <laughs> right? <laughs> I had one line. I didn't know there were the end, At the end of the first, uh, the first uh, act, and uh, it wasn't very interesting, and it wasn't very fun, and I convinced the I was supposed to be having a tussle with the, one of the other 
small actors at the end of the scene and we're supposed to be fighting over something and it wasn't fun you know and nobody was reacting to it it just seemed like a weird it, it honestly was just a transition into the next scene i didn't understand that at the time it's just everybody else was getting applause and laughter and things like that so i told my told my scene partner whose name i cannot remember i feel badly that i don't remember that that uh on the day of the opening night i says when we're having the big fight you know and i start to win i want you to pretend to knee me in the crotch and i will scream and double over in pain and lay on the floor <laughs> ah! and i did that right i did oh that on the and it got a huge laugh and i'm rolling around and the lights go down and i get off i'm like this is the greatest thing ever look at me i'm a star i can't uh, i can't get enough of this of course i got bawled out by the director <laughs> And it was just a teacher, right? But she was so mad at me. It's like, how dare you do something like that? That was that was terrible. But I, you couldn't have convinced me. I, I wasn't in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in trouble, but I couldn't have convinced you. Yeah. Couldn't convince me. So I knew at that day, that day, that I was an actor. I knew that I was going to be an actor for the rest of my life. That's what I was, who I was, what I was going to do. Um, you couldn't have convinced me of anything else all through grade school, all through middle school, all through high school. Even when I took, went into radio school later on, I'm an actor mm-hmm. and that's who I am at my core, even today at the age of ripe age of 28. Yeah. 20, I think it was yeah, 20. You might've celebrated your 29th birthday recently. I don't remember. 28. Yeah. So we're in that ballpark. So you had the acting, uh, acting bug. You knew that there was basically a stage with your name on it that you wanted to be on. Yeah. How did that? How did that radio? Um, when you were, I mean, was the Wednesday thing? Did that feed that for you at that at that time, or was it one of those? Oh gosh, yeah, absolutely. Every every I, I knew that I had to learn everything about the entertainment business as I could, Um, because I I could see that the entertainment business was that entertainment was a huge thing. It wasn't just standing on a stage and getting a part to play. I could see early on. That there's people on television, there's people in radio, there's people in films, there's people on stage. Anytime that that you could stand in front of an audience and, and get attention. And a lot of that early on was I was feeding this ADHD and this 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 the idea that I needed attention. So um, it was attention driven early. Um, and it was easy, easier for me to, to kind of uh, drag myself into that attention because um I could say, well, I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. I'm not just I'm not just a spaz, which is really what I was. You know, I was a kid, <laughs> you know I was I was that kid in high school. I got beat up and bullied uh, pretty much. Well, my Cheer- entire school cheerleaders can be mean. Year. I'm just going to say it. Cheerleaders, they are mean, mean, especially when you show up in the outfit and you say, "I really got my pom poms." Yeah, and they're like, yeah, "Nice, come here, we're going to thump um, on you now." But I wasn't I wasn't well liked. Um, because I was a spastic attention, excuse the word, but kind of an attention whore. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked the attention. It fed my, my, the idea. And, and the idea that I was going to get attention only when I was in a play, that was not enough for me. Mm-hmm. So there's, the, there's, there's, there's radio. Sure. And there was a community theater in town. I tried out for that. I was, the, I was the first kid that ever got cast in a community theater play. The, the local paper in Frankfurt called The Record Patriot uh, I, I decided I wanted to, there was nothing I need to do is write. So I went up there and I said, I'm a writer. And they went, okay, write. So I said, well, do you want me to well, write stuff about your school? So I, I decided to be 
Uh, it looked like everybody wanted to know about the sports. And I, once again, yeah, <laughs> I'm an actor. I know. Uh, I, I've been okay with it for at least the last ten years of my life. I know nothing about sports. Okay, <laughs> but I was I was the stuff they wanted me to, t- to talk about was the high school sports, the basketball players, the the coaches, the wins, the losses, and then things like, you know, maybe a student had got into the honor club or someone had got a big scholarship. So I, I, my first article for the Record Patriot, I got a byline. There were kids, there were guys getting out of high school or getting out of college, rather, that wouldn't get a byline here. But for some reason, I have a byline written by Bill Herman. So I'm writing a weekly article now as well. It's just, I knew that if I wanted to do this, I couldn't just depend on other people and part of that was my old man you know mm-hmm. you know you want to be an actor you better you're gonna have two or three other jobs that pay you yep you know because this ain't gonna pay you plus you know you can't just if you're just gonna read other people's words that's great but you could write your own words you know you could direct shows you could learn how to do other things he goes he didn't know anything about it my father nurse anesthetist he worked in hospital administration and mm-hmm. nursing my mother was a homemaker you know i they knew they did their best to try to you know, support me, but they didn't know any idea. But what I was into and why I was into it, they were most of the time like, "Oh dear God, Billy's doing something else." So, <laughs> but I was, I was in. I mean, even at, there was even a point at one at one point when I was a freshman in high school that the idea of of uh, of the clergy rushed through my brain, and I went to the seminary for a year in uh, in in Wisconsin. And an all, uh, an all boys, a Capuchin seminary for the priesthood. And when I look back at it, I think the thing that attracted me the most, not only was it because I was, I was, uh, I was, Catholicism had been in my life the entire time, mm-hmm. but also the priest is on stage. He's got all the attention, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> I hate to mention that and say it out loud, but the truth is that was part of it. Yeah. Now, I was only there for a year. And when I came home for that summer year, summer after senior, uh, after freshman year, I met a girl, and that girl, you know, uh, treated me to some things that I probably wasn't going to find going back to that all boys school. And uh, as much as the Capuchins didn't like the idea that I, that was decided, the deciding reason why I didn't go back, I think that was a good idea. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, let, let's let's keep going. Um, so you you. We're doing reporting. You were doing uh, some writing things. When did you transition into getting into the DJ side of where you were actually starting to play music and maybe even getting to the point of doing music for dances and such? That was not long after I got that first radio job when I was still 12. The morning radio DJ at that radio station in WBNZ uh, is, was Dusty Weatherford. Dusty Weatherford, uh, sadly, is no longer with us. He passed away about 10 years ago. Um, um, and he, he DJed local bars in Beulah for years, right up until he was gone. But at the time, he had a rig. And uh, I heard he was DJing, like, dances. And it, it, early on, and when you're 12, it's the first time you're hearing about the fact that there are dances. Mm, yes. And the idea of dances at first was like, oh, dances, girls can't dance. Oh, ew, ah. And, you know, the the jocks beat me up. I don't know if I want to do that. But the idea that I could go down there with Dusty Weatherford, who, for some reason, allowed me to come with him, showed me how to hook up speakers and put the rig together and set things up and, and be his 
kind of gopher. Sure. And all of these. And the, the dances he did was the high school, the, the junior high, a lot of church dances um, and, uh, and community center things. Not a whole lot. I mean, it was the small town. And in the, in the late 70s, it really wasn't that a thing. You know, a small town in northern Michigan, uh, he was probably one of maybe two other people yeah. at a DJ rig. Uh, he was probably also doing bars, but he was allowing me to be a part of it. He allowed me to see it and to work around him. And I learned the 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 idea of what it was, at least what he defined as what it was as a part-time guy anyway, because he was the morning guy at the radio station, probably making more money. I'm sure he was making more money DJing parties mm -hmm. um, as a supplement, right? Um but that's when I was introduced to what that could be. And then as I got older, when I moved away to a, uh, my senior year, I moved. Uh, my, my dad got a job um, as a hospital administrator because he had take management. He'd taken a management course or not course. He went back to school and got a degree in hospital management as well and uh, moved up to the Upper Peninsula in a town called Munising. That was my scene. My I went my school, whole year. I, whole my whole school year was someplace else, mm. Benzie Central High School, and then senior year was at Munising High School. And the first thing I did when we moved there was there was a radio station in town, and I walked in there, you know, with experience. Right. I said, "Hey, man, you know, I've been working, and you know, I'd love to be able to work here, and I'm I'm new from town." So they, they hired me full time right away. Mm. The DJ or oh, the evening shift, which was it was just a you know sunrise to sundown radio station so depending on the day the part of the year i was i was on live until ten thirty at night or i was off the air by you know six yeah and i'd started four but uh but that you know that was like a way to kind of keep myself in it while i still tried out for plays at the high school and the mm -hmm. community theater and um but yeah even even the summer before that um i got my first professional acting job in Traverse City, Michigan, which was uh, from Beulah, about 35, 40 minutes north of Beulah. And Traverse City had a place called the Cherry County Playhouse, which was owned by, um, at the time, a big a big star from Laugh-In, um, whose name for some reason is escaping right now, Pat Pat Paulson. Mm, yes. Pat Paulson, uh, an actor who, um, he he made his, his bones uh, uh, on a show called Laugh-In, and the thing that got him really famous is that every year or every couple of years, he would run for president. And very dry, very, yeah, very dry, dry sense of humor. Very, he was like a hang dog look on <laughs> yep. his face. And he got really famous. And he, owned, he, he, he opened this little, this little summer stock theater, mm -hmm. professional summer stock theater that brought in B-list celebrities. And I got a job as, a, as, a, as a, uh, uh, an apprentice and an actor for the children's theater for that summer before my senior year. And then I got my real taste of, because I was the only high school kid that got hired for this apprentice program. The rest mm. of them were college uh, MFA, Masters of Fine Arts uh, acting students from all over the country. So um, that was a great, wonderful experience where I met a lot of professional actors, a lot of, um, uh, of, of celebrities like, uh, um, well, nobody, no, nobody, anybody probably knows anymore, but people like uh, Gene Rayburn. Uh, mm -hmm. who was uh, the host of the match game back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, uh, and uh, Neil Simon, the playwright, came into town to because he had written a new play called You Ought to Be in Pictures. 
and he was trying it out for the first time there. So I got to meet him. Mm-hmm. I got to meet Ava Gabor, uh, mm-hmm. who was uh, uh, from uh, uh, Green Acres, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Pat Hingle, uh, which was a uh, uh, he's an actor um, who's uh, a big character actor. He's no longer with us, but he was he was a big character actor in the '60s and '70s and the '80s and '90s. Uh, most people remember him from being the hanging judge in uh, Hang 'Em High with Clint Eastwood, uh, or uh, as Commissioner Gordon in the first Batman movie that had oh, yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson in it. Um, and he was in a play, and I was his dresser for the play, so I spent a lot of time with him. So that whole that was an experience of reminding me that this could be a real thing, mm-hmm. even though my dad was like, "Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's nice and all." You know, you really ought to learn math, kid. You know, <laughs> and I, I held back from that crap for as long as I could. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was very lucky that I. And looking back, as much as I didn't think my parents really understood me, they really supported me because mm-hmm. I, I, when they moved up to Munising, I lived in Traverse City as a 15-year-old, going on 16-year-old, um, with a. A, a, a person in town that had an extra room so I could be at this theater, gosh, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, mm. you know, learning lighting, learning staging, learning, learning stagecraft, mm-hmm. understanding uh, uh, how to do uh, repertory theater and learning lines uh, to be able to do as uh, I think we did six different uh, children's shows that entire summer. So every Saturday uh, and Sunday, we had a kid's show that we did that I would be in or, or whatever. Plus, I was, I was working uh, backstage as a prop master or a lighting technician or uh, a dresser or just as a backstage gopher for all of the professional shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge experience. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. So, so when did you get into the point then you, that you moved or added consistent DJ work, mobile DJ work to your, uh, your, your life? I mean, you were busy act with the acting side of it and doing some things on it with the radio stations. When did that come in? Well, when I, when I graduated high school, my old man wanted me to go to college. I had no intention. I didn't like school. I didn't enjoy school. I got beat up in school. Mm-hmm. I didn't want more of school. Uh, but uh, his, insist- in his insistence in our conversations, he, sca- he talked about radio school. And at the time, there were two radio schools that we looked at. One was in Detroit, and it was called Spex Howard. And one was in Minneapolis. It was called Brown Institute. Mm-hmm. And both of them sound the idea of learning radio, uh, professional radio, learn- going to a school to learn more about radio, which is something I'd been doing for three years already, um, sounded not that difficult plus something that i was interested in and if i was interested i would work really hard at certainly so and brown institute in minneapolis seemed less scary than Spex howard in detroit michigan so i chose minneapolis brown institute came to minneapolis where uh, and i live in a suburb of minneapolis now uh went to brown institute it was nine a nine-month program for about $10,000 to find out that they were teaching you everything you kind of learned on the job for the first year you ever worked in radio, uh, which is not a big deal. But during that time, I also had to work because I had to had an apartment with three guys. I had to have rent and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So while I was delivering pizzas, 
uh, for Domino's, which I made really pretty good money at, I found out that there was a roller rink in... Uh, that I, I knew there were roller rinks, but I didn't even give the idea that there, you had DJs at roller rinks until I heard about that you could do that. And there's a roller rink in St. Louis Park that's uh, it's closing down this year, but it's called the Roller Garden. And I went there and I applied and told them that I could DJ, even though I'd never DJed a roller rink in my life. I didn't know how to skate. I lied about all that stuff. <laughs> um, they, took, they took me on anyway. They laughed at me when they found out I couldn't skate. But they kept me there because I was just enthusiastic enough to, st to stick. And there was a guy there working um, named Howard Wallstein, who at that roller garden, roller skating rink, was a star. Mm. I mean, people came from everywhere to come see Howard Wallstein's DJ at this roller skating rink. And I watched him, and I and then I found out that he DJed parties. And he DJed a lot of parties with his company called Total Entertainment. So I, when I wasn't DJing there, I was up there anyway when he was there begging him <laughs> to let me go with him and DJ those parties too. And he ignored me for about, I don't know, three to five months before he finally I think he, he allowed me to do it once because uh, somebody like he, he uh, somebody he had as a, an assistant and setup guy like blew him off so he's like alright fine kid come on <laughs> come on and move. so he takes me in a gig I set up I tear down you know I'm, I'm pretty much you know like I'm like I'm like I'm like that little dog in the cartoons like oh George hey can I George oh please George can I I'm like I'm completely annoying I can't believe he wanted me around him at all <laughs> um and then, not only that, but I'm like, let me DJ. I can DJ. I, I know how to DJ. Man, I can do this. I did it roller. You know I'm good at this. Something like blah, 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 And he tells this story that I don't necessarily completely remember, but he knows exactly the, 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 the junior high school party we were at, he and I. I was running lights. He was DJing the party. We're about to begin. He opens the mic, and his voice went up. I think he, I think I think the story is he gave me a chance, mm -hmm. but at the time he was like, he, I can't, I can't speak. I don't know what I can do. Uh, you have to do this. So he handed me the microphone, and he gave me the the he gave me the turntables, and I went nuts. <laughs> and from that day, he was hiring, he was booking me for everything. Sure. And I still had my own rig, thinking you know I was still promoting that I could do it on my own, and I wasn't really booking any gigs for myself, even though I had my own stuff. But he really taught me the ropes, the serious ropes of, of DJing parties. And mm -hmm. it was high schools and junior highs and elementary schools and bar mitzvahs. Yes. And I got really good at being the guy who can fix the problems. So he'd like have a really upset bar mitzvah mom. And he knew that he would have to deal with the bar mitzvah mom when he got there. So who got that gig? Give it to Bill because I <laughs> I could show up and, and even though the lady might be freaking out, by the time I started she was like, Oh, oh, okay, he's he's at least you know, he's pretty good. So I learned the hard way how to fix problems and deal with problem customers, really difficult difficult ones, by not only making uh, making promises of what I could deliver, but then actually delivering on things that you know, he really had no intention or want to deliver on because these people are being unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, unreasonable? Come on, I can do that for him. <laughs> so I, le I learned the hard way, but be it, it was because of Howard mm -hmm. who allowed me to do that stuff. And then when I moved away again, 
I, I started doing my own thing, started my own little company in Detroit, and it went it was okay. And I moved around kind of doing radio again, and, and I kind of gypsied around doing radio and some theater, and I did some stuff on the East Coast. And, but, but there was a point where I decided that I wanted to I wanted to just no longer be a gypsy. Sure. And I mean gypsy because I never really stayed any place more than about a year and a half tops. Mm-hmm. And I would, regardless of how well I was doing, I'd just pull up stakes, grab all my stuff, throw it in a truck and find a place and start again, which was a good experience and a good way to learn things on its own. Uh, when I moved back to Minneapolis, it was about 1989. And uh, I came back because I had a job waiting for me to manage a DJ company. As well, while I was still trying to, you know, build my own, um, but but in the time that it took me to pack up my things in Detroit, in my small Toyota truck, everything I owned, and drive the twelve fifteen hours uh, from Detroit to Minneapolis, that job evaporated. Mm. And when I showed up, I had nothing. So I kind of, I not kind of, but I lived in my truck for a couple of weeks while I uh, went to every apartment building I could to try to apply for an apartment. And I went to every bar I could find to try to find a DJ job, uh, as well as any place that might hire me doing, even like delivering pizzas or something. And about the same time that I lied my way into an apartment, which was, you got a job? Sure I do. You got, <laughs> how much money you make? I make this yeah, much money. Lots of money. No, I, just, I just lied my way into them saying, okay, you can move in. Uh, which was a, like a little tiny studio apartment with a mattress on the floor. I was, I, I, everything but being homeless, really. You know, I had heat and a mattress. Mm. And I had I, I know, macaroni and cheese. This, this bar in downtown Minneapolis, um, who I thought would be, I'd be really good at, which played 50s and 60s music, um, they told me that, you know, no, we've got like six guys and they're really, really good. And, and they've been here since we opened and we're never going to get rid of them. And so I just, I had applied for everybody. And about a, uh, two, three days after, and it was around Christmas time. It was th- around this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, they had a big Christmas party um, at that bar where everybody got really, really, really drunk. Uh, and just about the time that every staff member, including the DJs, were just hammered. The owner showed up, and then everybody was just awful to oh, the owner. And, no. and the first person, the people who had started it all, well, all the DJs. So the, the the owner fired everybody except for one guy. And the next day, I get a telephone call saying, "Hey, you know, I know you came in looking, but uh, and I t- I know I told you we didn't have anything, but can you start tomorrow? And how many days can you work?" <laughs> oh my! So I immediately went from nothing to six days a week working at a downtown Minneapolis nightclub. And then I started making a name for myself as a guy who was really good at what I did, started doing parties out because of that. Um, um, and then, you know, I just kind of moved up from there. And uh, in fact, I moved, I was so good at what I was doing and so con- committed to the bar that within about a year, they were asking me to take on management job, management. Uh, not just managing the DJs, but then managing the restaurant and the bar. Mm-hmm. And then in the last year it was open, they asked me to be the general manager. And I really thought that I'd kind of moved past the idea that I might be a professional entertainer because I still had my father in the back of my head going, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. not really not going to make any money doing this. You really find a real job, a real job. And the real job had presented itself and, and, and it was paying me really well. Um, and in fact, when the bar... 
downtown closed, I was headhunted by the Mall of America. And the Mall of America asked me to uh, come out there and help open the Mall of America and a lot of the bars and nightclubs that were up there. And I helped open, design, and operationally manage and general manager a, uh, a comedy club. And then I did such a good job there. They asked me to take on a country bar and work for the Gatlin Brothers. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in there, I kind of I kind of saw my life and was un, was unhappy with the fact that I was going there. Mm. And there were lots of other, I can go into a long story as to why I made the choice that I did, but I, ch- I chose to quit in a, in, a, in a blaze of glory one day because I looked at my life and went, I'm not, a, I'm not, I, I may be a good businessman. I may be a good restaurant manager. I, mean, I was, at the time I was managing over 500 people mm-hmm. and a huge, huge place that made tons of money. And I walked away from it realizing that I wasn't who I wanted to be. And I, I hadn't really saved a dollar, even though I was making a lot of money. I walked away from a lot, an obscene amount of money um, in 1991. And I just decided I was going to start my own thing. Um, and, and, and damned it, damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm going to either make a success of this or I'm going to do something else. I, I got... I got to make this happen. I got to be who I am or I can't. But I right now I can't do any of that because all of I'm, I was putting 18 hours a day into understanding this business. Bill, you know what we're going to do? That. Bill, we're going to put a pause in this. Yeah. We're going to do two uh, we're going to make this a two-parter if you don't mind because we're getting into the good parts of the story now. And and I don't want to rush everything. Um, or I don't. We, we've told, we've been telling such a good story. Um, we're gonna pick it up after Gatlin's. Uh, and and if you don't mind, let's do it in a, a another night. Okay. Okay. I see. I told you. I but uh, I you wanted, were in charge. I know. And I slowing my storytelling down. I wanted the story, and you're giving a wonderful story. And for those of you who are, are out there, and you you don't, there's a lot of things you learned tonight about Bill. And now we're going to get into the parts that I know about. So now we're going to have the dialogue, because we've got we've got the beginning of his DJ company that that was out there, then becoming a full time operator. Then we get into the the whole educational things that we were doing the map dj things that we were doing the yeah yeah there's we got a lot of stuff to cover and i think that's going to be um we got all of that before i was 28 years old (laughs) you've really had a good i'm only 29 now yeah that those those early 20s were really productive years for you i'm saying so thank you guys for being with us. Uh, we'll be back at the top of the hour. Um, Dan and MJ and I are going to be talking about club DJing, which is kind of, you know, in this session or the area of which we're leaving uh, Bill's conversation for tonight. And we'll see either next week or the week after. I'll see what Bill's schedule works out, but uh, you'll see the links and such in the Sunday email. We'll find out what night, and we'll come back and finish up the story of Bill Herman. So, Bill. Thank you th- so much, John. Yeah. This is uh, I, 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 you and I are, are, have been friends for a really long time, and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you later off camera, but this the, tonight has meant a lot to me just to be able to spend some time with you. So, yeah. Thanks. Well, I, I have enjoyed our time together and I, I don't want to rush because we've got some fun things to talk about. So as we good and looking forward to part two. So everyone, I'll be back. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash John Young MN. The links for the next show are there. And that one should be proper instead of me having issues trying to get it going like we did with the show tonight. So we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, everybody.